Hi everyone, welcome to Making It in America. This is a podcast where I talk to successful new immigrants who braved all kinds of obstacles to achieve their own version of the American dream. I'm your host Siam Hussain and join me in this journey where I hear fascinating stories of resilience against adversity and eventual triumph of these amazing individuals. Hey, Tony, it's great to have you here. Great to be here. Yeah, I've been meaning to hear all your story. It's great how we met and I have been craving to hear your story. So I'm, I'm glad that I found the opportunity to dive in. Yeah, I, um, I'm happy to share. And we've just been into business things so much that we barely had the opportunity to know each other. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, yeah, of course. I know that you came from China as an international student. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more on how you or why you thought of coming to U.S. in the first place and that part of the story? Yeah, uh, that's a long story. So I've always been pretty good at languages. I remember learning English and discovering that I had no accent, but everybody else did so I was this like weird alien kid who speaks English with no accent so I I thought maybe I would go abroad to see how things what things are like outside Um, but I come from a really humble family my family weren't super loaded so the only way way for me to go abroad was to apply a scholarship and study and um, so at the time there were it was a really hot trend to study abroad, especially study in the U.S. for Chinese kids. I came to the U.S. 2008 and around like 2005, 2006. That's like when it was really hot to uh, come to the U.S. I also thought, I let me try my chances. So I applied and, and got a scholarship. So That's nice. And from your family or your friend circle, were there any role models who kind of inspired you? Or was there any pivotal moment that you're like, okay, I want to go in US? And was there any story like that? Any moment? Mm, uh, Not in my family, really, because I'm the first person to go to college in my family. So I had Mm. no like grandiose role model. My dad was a marine engineer and my mom was a shoe designer and they wanted me to be a musician. Like, so growing up, I was like a classical uh, piano person. Like that was my path. But I guess I was more curious than what they wanted me to be. (laughs) I wanted to go out and like, I had to go out and I want to see the world. I think if anything, it was my what should I say, senpais or like other kids that are senior to me in school um, that got like scholarships from Harvard or Stanford or something like that. And I was looking up to them. I didn't think I was good enough to get into Harvard. So I never applied for anything like that. In retrospect, I should, I should probably have tried. But um, I was like, maybe I get a chance to go abroad. Maybe I get scholarship money and then I wouldn't be such a burden on my family. Yeah, that's my seniors definitely inspired me. Yeah, and it happens all the time when I hear this. So you basically you'll become the role model for probably your family and many of your close ones. Yeah, I think that's what happened. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I, I didn't sign up for it. 
And no, it's it's very interesting, and especially how you switched. Like you came a long way, and definitely pivoted a lot uh, in terms of your career. Mm-hmm. And which part of China are you from? I'm not the best in geography. So, mm-hmm. but... uh, it's a city called Qingdao, and it's famous for a beer called Qingdao beer, like a green okay. bottle Chinese beer. It's really okay. close to South Korea. Um, Okay. North, north on the east coast, northeast. Got it. Okay. So you came in two thousand eight, and you did your masters. Is there anything you faced in the first couple of months? Any kind of struggle? So you had all these hopes and dreams about America. You came in U.S. What were the major shocks, or what? How was your experience when you came in U.S. like the first time? Oh yeah. So when I came here, I was seventeen, right? So I came here without a clear plan of what I wanted to do. So I think I was a music major in undergrad. Oh, you came for, for undergrad. I came here for undergrad, yeah. Okay. And I think what one thing U.S. universities or maybe U.S. in general does really well is it allows you to stay a kid for longer. Like you have more freedom to choose, right? In China, you don't have that freedom. When you enter college, you pick a major. I mean, maybe under circumstances you can change your major, but like your major is defined by how well you score on the college entrance exam. I wasn't mature enough to like be responsible for my future at that age. So um, I, I really like that I get to choose and experiment with majors in undergrad. And which school was it in? Where was it? Which school were you doing your undergrad? I went to Tulane University. It's in New Orleans. I stayed there for eight years. I did all my degrees there. I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.、Um, I knew that you did your law degree from Tulane, but I didn't. didn't mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, man. I was I was in that school for a long time. <laughs> I probably. One day would be the poster child for that school because <laughs> I did everything there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember. I actually was in. It's in New Orleans, right?、Mm-hmm. Yeah, Orleans. yeah. I have been to New Orleans in one of the Mardi Gras, and that's how I stayed in one of my friends' house who was、uh, doing his、mm-hmm. MBA from Tulane. So、mm-hmm. that's how I know Tulane. But yeah, yeah, yeah. New Orleans people are very friendly. They're happy、um, that there are traveler tourists that come to that city, which makes it great when you're international students. They they tend to be quite welcoming. I can't speak for everybody there, but I had a pretty good time there. Yeah. So, and you said that you are doing your undergrad in music.、Uh, I definitely want to hear that part on how that transitioned to law because that seems very different. Oh yeah, it, it, it was even more. <laughs> it, it was the transition is way more than <laughs> I, I'm revealing right now. So it went from music to psychology to economics. And to philosophy and then to law. Wow, you're like I don't want to do one thing. I want to five things. <laughs> I was in a pretty restricted path when I was in China, right? And、mm. like my dream back then was to experiment because I'm a very curious person. I wanted to try things and learn things. I love learning things. So naturally, when I'm in amazing place where I could take any class I want, that's what I did. Yeah. So from music. Can you walk us through a little bit? I understand you are experimenting. <laughs> so I have to preface it by saying that if if there are students listening to this, I 
don't necessarily recommend you do the same because I didn't pick a STEM major and it really screwed me later on. I, I didn't get it through EuroPT. I only got one EuroPT, so I had one shot. <laughs> um, but I came here to study music, but really I came here to, to learn things. So I was doing the undergrad classes. I was enrolled in intro to economics, intro to like international relations, history of China. That class really blew my mind because the history in a history of China in an American university is very different from history of China in a Chinese school. So like that sort of fed my appetite for more weird classes. And when I like took a lot of philosophy classes, I decided like this is what I'm missing. I needed a formalized way to teach me how to think. Like I needed I needed to ask fundamental questions like what is life what is our purpose here and so i ended up doing that but at the same time i realized like philosophy is more like a luxury if you're international students because i came here tuition expensive my parents had great expectations of me so i sort of took a second economics degree like as a way as a major for my parents a lot of uh, international students actually do this they take one major for themselves because it's fun. And they take another major for their parents, like accounting, something yeah. responsible. Uh, yeah, so. You're trying to balance like this too. <laughs> like I understand, <laughs> I understand. Right, right. I, I should have balanced a STEM degree in there as well, mm-hmm. but I was too distracted. <laughs> <laughs> That's so fascinating. I actually did not know all these things. And I, I'm actually curious before going there, what was the difference between the history of China here and the, what you learned in China? I'm very curious. I don't think I can move on without knowing what happened. <laughs> What's the difference? Uh, okay, so I... <laughs> I'm a little nervous talking about this because a lot of information in China is censored. And mm. that is not the case when you read an American textbook. I had heard of some major events in that in Chinese history, but they were just black boxes that were sort of blocked away in normal textbooks and like major media like search engines you can't find them so when i was enrolling in this class and i was reading all about these events that happened in recent history that i had no idea about i was excited i was like wow this totally shook my world (laughs) so i went ahead and watched a bunch of documentaries and like real footages of what happened um yeah, it was amazing. That's no, that's fascinating that you're almost rediscovering your culture and yourself in a different kind of lens. And <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you just rediscovering yourself as well mm-hmm. in that process. So after all this, like, so you take philosophy, economics. I mean, it's hard to follow because you have been switching so much. <laughs> yeah. How did from that to law? So economics was the last degree, which was kind of like to balance your parents' wishes and your wishes. And right. then, right. then to law, or what happened after that? Yeah, so um, I was doing a graduate degree in philosophy, so that was my passion. Right, like I really enjoyed reading different philosophical, different different philosophers, and so I was going to pursue that even more to see, like, if I could explore my own school of thinking. Uh, it's getting kind of culty there. But I, <laughs> at some point, I decided, based on my mentor's advice, that philosophy is not really something I, that I should pursue. 
first of all, it's academia is like any other job. It's competitive and everybody is trying to stamp their footprint in the field. It's not as idealistic as I think it is. Like you still right. have to pay the bills. You still have to face other people's uh, school of thought to compete. Like that's not as purest as I wanted as a just like 20 year old. So I decided, yeah. well, I should probably do something that will be practical and then I will get to like, you know, have fun and enjoy my critical thinking mind. Um, mm -hmm. So law was the natural switch for that. So I went into law. Okay, so interesting. That makes sense. You wanted to use your skills practically and basically the same faculties which are being used in philosophy are also used in law, but yeah, more it's in a great, mm -hmm, It's a great leeway to learning and practicing law, I think. Hmm. Yeah. And so you did your law. So for the law, it's the JD, right? Like that's the track. Yeah, I did okay. a Juris Doctor. Yeah. Okay, so you do a JD, and before that, you said you were graduating in 2000. So that was you did an undergrad, you did a master's, and then a JD. Yeah, I did a master's in philosophy. I was taking a lot of classes. I think I took ten classes of of graduate, like six hundred level philosophy classes in one year. So I graduated in one year with a master's degree and enrolled in law school. Wow, I'm actually honestly very jealous that you learn all these things. I know, right? It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. And so that's more on the like your learning side of things. Mm -hmm. I think we can discuss more on philosophy some other time. How were you doing in terms of in your personal life feeling wise? You came as an international student, like a new to a completely new country. You're studying mm -hmm. and enjoying the studying and all this exploration. I'm just trying to put myself in your shoes. You're really enjoying that part. How are you doing personally in terms of not having any friend? Your parents are back home. And also just to adapt with this culture, because this is very different. The education system is different. Mm -hmm. Were there anything you are struggling or you are mostly just so fascinated that mm -hmm. fascination kind of like took away all the struggles part? Oh, yeah, that's a great question. I think it was everything was so new. I barely had time to notice that I was being overwhelmed or like things were hard. And I didn't really have a hard time socializing. Um, I think I spent a lot of time in my dorm because it was my first time being in a college dorm surrounded by like American kids that they seem to get along really well because it seems like it felt like it was just an extension of high school for them. Like they were able to socialize and and some of them were vandalizing other people's dorm doors and I wasn't understanding what that was so I mostly like just stayed in my room or socialized with the people that I liked from classes yeah I did definitely had an intense period when I missed my family um, I think my mom had a really tough time when I was just arriving here because I was really close to my mom growing up uh, and all of a sudden I was gone and you know she was having a rough time but after a while it got better yeah, yeah I just realized at this point that I'm very similar to you in that way that whenever I'm in a new place I mm -hmm. am so excited and absorbed with the consumption of new experience and information mm -hmm. sometimes even almost forget about reflecting enough after a while, I think I get some time and then do it. 
but in the beginning i'm like oh yes this yeah, is yeah yeah this is great this is awesome <laughs> this is yeah totally yeah yeah it's interesting to know did you come here for masters what as well or i came for my masters not for okay. my undergrad when i came here i was like 23 24 something like that mm-hmm. i had my own different kind of struggle different kind of story but uh, yeah that's a different conversation so when you came to us you stayed in tulane for 8 years after that when we were studying what was the difference you are feeling in life in china obviously you also changed in terms of your age but in general what are the major differences you faced because you are a philosopher partly this is a more like a philosophy <laughs> question that how did you find these two countries difference on a personal level not what we read in news on a personal right. level right Do you have any? Um yeah, that's a big question. Yeah, so I definitely feel like a different person in the two cultures. Like I came here young enough that I think before I came here I had a different personality than when I came here. And when I speak English and when I speak Chinese, I'm like two related but different people. In China there is also this sensation that I'm a part of the people there and that I'm accepted and I could just do f- it there's this familiarity with with being in your home country in your hometown there is this familiarity with talking to a random stranger on the bus like mm-hmm. you just sort of share the same history um like you see a person from well let's use the bus example again like a similar age to you you sort of you can relate to them because you probably went through the same school system right you can imagine them sitting in the same seat that you grew up in in the classroom and having like being taught the same information but here it's harder to relate to people like that you don't get the same sort of in the gut feeling that you are similar mm. i still have friends here and i still relate to them on a different level but it's just a different relationship than like someone i relate to from my hometown so that makes it different it makes visiting home a very nice experience cuz like all that rush of familiarity that nostalgia just comes back to you and you're like i'm in a different world and it's it's a great feeling yeah you put it in a very beautiful way it happens with me as well when you go back to china i think you feel that in the beginning there is this innate relation even without talking the way you're saying in the bus mm-hmm. you don't even have to talk much you're like okay yeah these are like my people not in a negative or positive way but yeah 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 you have shared history together and then you can immediately bond right yeah and the language the overall culture and also like the race all these things have effect on us like oh it looks like me another version mm-hmm. of me there's a natural relation which in us yes you're right i relate to them but the relation comes later once i get to know them then i can relate on a different level as you said but i think there's no innate relations and mm-hmm. especially in city like new york it's even more hard because it's so non homogeneous mm-hmm. <laughs> i think everyone feels the same yeah. way that's a very good way yeah yeah that's part of the reason why being friends with immigrants or international students is a good experience for me and that's eventually what I decided are my people in the US is like I have the shared history with them like we all went through the struggle of being on visas for so many years and then the struggle uh, getting a green card the same thing like that external hardship really 
is a shared history and it, it does bond people. Yes, yes, I agree. And I, this is amazing that we are discussing about this. For me in US, my people are either the international students or expat or who have some kind of experience with multiple cultures mm -hmm. and what happens i i call them like floating people <laughs> because once you are here you are automatically like kind of detached and i went back to bangladesh after many years mm -hmm. years back i feel connected but still not too much anymore i'm different and I feel the same here. I'm like, where do I stay? Like, mm -hmm. I, <laughs> I think I lost home forever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get the same feeling. It's like your world is all of a sudden being forced open. Like you're no longer confined into that place that you were born because of your experience. You're forced to think bigger. You're forced to think differently. You're no longer a country citizen. You're like a citizen of the world. And that's just how you feel. Yeah. And once your mind is shaken up like that, it's very difficult, like really bond with someone who is not like that. You can, but it's difficult. I don't know. I have been facing it. It's very interesting. And some of the international students actually goes through a little bit different kind of path. I have seen both that some probably becomes even more locked in the culture, in yes. their own culture. Oh, I've seen it too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And mm -hmm. even staying in US, there are in this silo, I'm not saying that's good or bad, but that's mm -hmm. their path they have chosen. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah, that's you see that with immigration too. Immigrants from China tend to hang out with immigrants from China, and they t tend to only want to hire a Chinese immigration lawyer, and then they only tend to really speak their mind in a Chinese forum, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not for everyone, but definitely a small group of people are only like that. And I hope that we could be more open and integrated into the future because that's that's not a future I'd like to see <laughs> in this yeah. country. That's why we came here, right? We wanted everybody to be friends, like learn from each other. Of course, of course. So coming back to your educational side so you finished your jd and then you became a lawyer so congrats on that that's a big oh, thank you big deal and you have your own company imingo where mm -hmm. you are basically trying to help the same people you went through a lot of struggle and you don't want others to go through these new struggles these legal struggles so can you tell me a little bit about the genesis of imingo and where is it now and what are your plans about it? Yeah, sure. That is a very long story. So I will start, I will try to abbreviate it and, and then so you get a better idea. So in law school, I got this job working for a local law firm on a international lawsuit. And an international lawsuit is about um, some homeowners in America suing a Chinese company, or really a group of Chinese companies for ruining their houses. And it was like a building material class action lawsuit where the Chinese manufacturer sent over some materials that was later disputed as questionable, like they were emitting odors and they had faulty qualities. So there was this class action lawsuit alleging that the Chinese company were doing bad things. And I was brought on as the translator for the case. So that was my second year of law school and third year of law school. I did this 
And I was really reading a lot of documents from China and then translating them for the American law firms to help them understand how the Chinese companies think. But really, I was there to help them sue the Chinese company. So I was conflicted because one, on the one side, I get to learn about this like high-level high class, uh, class action case. And on the other side, like I... I'm not really sure who's at fault here. I'm not really sure if like it was a frivolous lawsuit, as you would call in legal terms, or like it was something goes wrong and somebody is trying to push blames on the manufacturers. So I did that. And for a while, that got me into the class action uh, litigations field. And so after I did that, I did a few internships, another internships that I landed, which brought me to New York. It's this Roundup case, you might have heard of in the news, it's the case about the Monsanto pesticide, pesticide that's uh, killing people, giving people cancer, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So I was one of the document reviewers that were reading the corporate documents to find how exactly they caused cancer and if they knew that their products caused cancer, but withheld that information from the public. So that was a very grueling experience. I was alone in New York. I had a little shoebox apartment that cost $1,600 a month, which at the time was a lot for me because I was living off of my OPT wage, right, which is very little. Um, and like the case is kind of dry because you have to read all these corporate documents through an e-discovery uh, platform where you discover like, how exactly they were maybe culpable. Um, so that lasted until my OPT ran out and I couldn't stay on the job anymore. My uh, employer petitioned an H-1B for me and I didn't get picked. Like I thought I was qualified, but it doesn't matter if I didn't get win the lottery. So at this point, I had the choice of going back to China or trying to stay here. And I chose to stay here because I've been here for so long and I didn't feel like I was finished. I didn't feel like I was done. I wanted to do more things with my law degree and I was in the middle of this super hot class action lawsuit. I was just not going to let go. So I enrolled myself. By the time my FT expired, it was too late to enroll in most schools. So I enrolled in myself into a direct admission school, which is one of those programs that allow you to be admitted on site. You go to their admission office and you get admitted if they like you. So I went in there and at this point I was like, I wanted to learn something about this drug problem. I wanted to like use this information to maybe later become a drug pharmaceutical attorney. So I studied chemical engineering for two years and that was really hard. It has nothing to do with what I was doing before. And it was just like this inability to let go of failing H1B <laughs> that put me on the path of studying engineering for two years. So I was doing that. And in the same time that I was studying engineering because it's expensive to stay here without a source of income. And my source of income was cut off by failing H1B. So I had to come up with some creative solutions to allow me to work. Uh, so I talked to the dean of the school I was at to allow me to double major in economics, 
which is something that I already had a major in. I had a degree in it. But this way, this way, you know, I can get credit for a internship opportunity. And so through some sort of arrangement, and I talked through immigration attorneys and the school immigration uh, international students like DSO, I got a job at a really big bank while I studied chemical engineering. When I got this job, I think the department was really confused why I was studying chemical engineering. And I explained the situation to them and they understood. So I was able to stay there for a while. So yeah, so this was right before I met my husband. And for my friends in New York, if you are dating, it's really, really tough to date in New York. So many people here, so many different kinds of expectations. It's just messy. So when I met my husband, just I felt this relief. I finally got someone, found someone who got me. He was also in sort of an expat. He grew up in India, even though he's not Indian. And like, I just felt like, well, this person gets me. So let's be together for a long time. And so we got married. And the next thing immediately, of course, is doing my own marriage green card application. And I remember the application was 300 pages of support documents that I pulled together. It was just terrible. And at that moment, I was also volunteering to help some asylum seekers, like Chinese asylum seekers who were persecuted by the government. And they were also going through this paperwork issue. So at that time, that was like the pinnacle moment when I decided, let me do something about this. I'm going to automate these forms so I never have to see one or fill one again. <laughs> and that's when we started to build this company in Mingo. Like our first form, I think it was the asylum form, I-589. And then we, we made a user interface and we did some code. I think at the, at the beginning when it was just proof of concept, I was doing this by myself. I didn't really know much about coding. So I learned basic JavaScript. I learned some basic PHP. And I built a WordPress prototype and it was terrible. So I was like, let's not use WordPress. So I then built a Wix prototype and then it was too limited. I had to use some webhooks and it wasn't good enough. So eventually I switched to JavaScript, right? JavaScript was harder, but it's more flexible. So I was like, let me learn some React. And I learned some React and start building and building it. And this is the right model to go. And I got more people on board. Um, Damien, my husband, knows some engineers. That's great. And then we decided to work with this engineer. And then it went from this crappy, crappy prototype, which I hooked up together with some questionable webhooks and borrowed code into something that's actually tangible and usable and is scalable. So now we are building more forms, like we're trying to automate H1B, we're trying to automate O1, EB1, marriage green card. It's really exciting because once you figure out one solution for a package, it's infinitely scalable. You can figure out any solutions for any form that you may encounter in immigration. Yeah, so that's that's really exciting. Yeah, <laughs> your story is incredibly inspiring. I had a couple of goosebumps. You're like that thing, you know, like I think the major skill, what I realized that if I boil down, you're very adaptive. That's your amazing skill set. I didn't even know that, you know, like the morning kind of shows the day that you have already switched so many things so many times. Mm -hmm. Obviously, you did chemical engineering. Obviously, you learned React, you know, like... <laughs> 
I just had to. I didn't see any. Re- I didn't see any other way. I was like, okay, U.S. immigration system, you fuck me. I'm going to do something that will work. If it requires kung fu, all right, learn kung fu. Like whatever it comes on the way, you'll just do it. That's a very good skill. And on a personal level, I think hopefully you found your ultimate thing, which lets you be this adaptive and make it to your benefit. And I feel like entrepreneurship is that kind of part. So I'm glad that you finally landed on that zone where yeah. you can be everything at the same time. You can just switch all the time. I, I definitely agree. No other profession lets anyone do that kind of shift, you know. So mm-hmm. that's amazing. I'm, I'm glad that you landed. You are a true entrepreneur. So you, you are supposed to be here. It's, it's so nice to hear from someone who's also doing the same thing. And I genuinely believe that after hearing your story, I genuinely wholeheartedly believe that. It's fascinating on what you are building with Imingo. I think everyone should hear this story. So how big is your ambition? Where do you want to go with Imingo? I know that you are starting. It started from this scrappy project. Now people are getting inspired. You're building this team. People mm-hmm. are joining you in this big mission. What's the future? What's the five years, 10 years? Are we, are we talking, are we talking like automating all the forms or are we talking like cybernetics or something like that? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Like, I don't know. What's your plan? So <laughs> my plan is definitely to stay in the immigration field is to use my expertise as an immigration attorney and my experience as an immigrant to make this better for people in our situation. Unfortunately, this space is very heavy in regulation. It's like a regulation center space. Mm. You, you can't really innovate. Oh, well, maybe you can, but you don't have the same freedom to innovate like YouTube or, mm. or, or Google where like anything could go like the product itself, immigration product itself. You have to make it, in line with USCIS policies or US immigration laws. However, like there is definitely, especially in COVID-19 period, this trend to work remotely, to work anywhere in the world and to virtually work with anyone. And that is definitely my vision as well. I want to be able to work in China when I hang out with my family and then still remotely coordinate with my team from all over the world. I don't believe in borders, basically. Mm. I believe like if you're skilled or talented enough, you should be able to be hired by anybody and you should be able to get fair compensation from Mm -hmm. anywhere. So that is my ultimate vision. I don't know how to get there yet, but I believe starting from making people's lives easier in this country by giving them more opportunities, making it easier for them to get a job in the U.S. is is the starting point for that. Yeah, I completely agree. And I really feel blessed. I'm also thankful to Steve that he has been telling me about you so many times. And I'm glad that <laughs> finally met. I think you already know that I also care about this group of people the same mm-hmm. as you do. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that hopefully we can build really amazing solutions for these people. Like I'm trying yeah. for my own way. Mm-hmm. I always think that these immigrants are leaving their countries back home and they're coming here with almost like so much hope. They're very hopeful. Mm-hmm. They have no lack of talent. They have very strong grit of basically like you, just like they want to learn things. They, they want to stay here. They want to do whatever it takes to make it work. Mm-hmm. I think this is an amazing 
set of people you can work with because they're automatically already very motivated. You just need to yeah. remove yeah. some of the roadblocks from their path and they are just going to explode. I agree. A little mm -hmm. bit one one two blocks you just remove and that's amazing. So yeah. it's very inspiring to even imagine that kind of future where mm. immigrants are leading and mm -hmm. it comes to your vision which I feel like we have some kind of alignment even in our future futuristic vision that mm -hmm. we want the world to be open the concept of losing boundary i don't think anyone who has actually not been an immigrant even understand this concept of boundaryless like actually mm -hmm. like feel that uh, and mm -hmm. see the opportunities of a completely open world coming back to the point that yeah i'm really grateful that i met you oh that's so sweet of you me too yeah we're on the same path yeah, we're we're the same path. So I have like full faith in you that you are on this mission and you went through a lot of struggle and you are on the path. You have a lot to look forward to. Do you have any kind of advice or anything to say for someone who is completely new to US or just mm. the young Tony? Mm -hmm. Do you have anything to say for to them? <sighs> yeah, this question. Yeah, that's great. I think... The most important thing is I would advise that I try to build something from scratch from day one because the entrepreneurship experience, even though it happened so late after all of my formal education, is such a game changer. It just teaches me to, to think very differently. And that was partially because I saw something from nothing, like I built it from nothing. And that is a very empowering experience. You basically, you have nothing, maybe internet access, and you see somebody else doing something and you're like, I want to do that. As an undergrad student, I wasn't motivated to do that. I was like, I'll just finish my classes and there's so many classes I'm interested in taking, I'll just do this. But if at the time when I first came here, I decided to like, build a platform, even just a simple website or a community, like a forum or something, it would have been totally different. I don't think I would have made the same choice as I did back then. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's still great to have like readings, a lot of time, a lot of leisure time to read about philosophy, to read about art, but my mindset would just been totally bananas different <laughs> if I started building from day one. Mm. Another thing was I would say definitely plan for your future. I wasn't very good at this. I was enjoying myself way too much, <laughs> but I wasn't concerned about immigration. I wasn't concerned about my career. A lot of kids that I met through you are actually doing great on this. They're planning their futures like years ahead. And that's really refreshing. I would say like, keep doing that. If you're lost, definitely find mentors that have been on the path before. I wasn't really, as I said, I was a little hermit tea back <laughs> then, and I just enjoyed doing things on my, on my own, but that put me on a significant disadvantage when it comes to planning ahead. I, I didn't have the resources for my mentor to teach me, oh, here are the landmines you, you must uh, avoid. And so I, I went through a lot of obstacles. Um, which shaped me in other ways. I became more resilient and adaptive as a result of walking through those minefields, but mm -hmm. it could have been easier. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I understand. No, I think these are, these are very, um, yeah, I mean, agreed. So kind of like to summarize, 
start building like from the beginning. Don't wait. Be hands-on. Yeah, yeah. Be scrappy. It's going to suck at the beginning, but who cares? Just, just do it. Yeah, just do it. Be scrappy. Be hands-on. And plan a little bit over the future. I agree. But I also understand your situation that when someone is young, it's very difficult to have that kind of mindset until a brick hits your face or something. Mm-hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. Everyone has that moment, that call. Mm-hmm. That day, so mm-hmm. Yeah. There are some kids that are that are like that. They're like 17-year-olds that start their own games. Really <laughs> awesome. I think it's a confidence issue for a, a lot of it. When I was growing up, I was definitely not encouraged to do that. I had to really, what should I say, have shit things thrown in my face for me to learn that lesson. But yeah. be more confident. You can do things more than you can you think you can. Yeah, that's a very good note to end with. Tony, it has been a great pleasure to have you and I'm happy that I got to hear your story. And do you have any place our audience can follow you at, like an email or any Twitter or anything? Oh, uh, yeah. So add me on LinkedIn, maybe. I run an immigration law firm. Uh, It's called Shoe Law Group. So if anyone who has immigration legal concerns feel free to make an appointment i make it really easy to make an appointment with me there and also we have a discord group and a facebook page for imingo go to imingo.com and i'll just meet you in the community yeah and i hope i can vouch for that you'll take care of them i try to (laughs) well thanks a lot tony it has been a great pleasure it has been a great pleasure talking to you as usual Thanks a lot for tuning in to this episode of Making It in America. For show notes and more, visit siamhossein.com slash M-I-I-A. You can find all the episodes there as well as in Spotify, Apple Music, or your favorite podcast platform. Make sure to subscribe and share this with your friends who can relate. Stay safe and see you on the next episode.